Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 49, exploring a fantasy world of charcoal and graphite with artist Eric Messenger. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Hope you're doing well. So before getting into the interview, I wanted to start this week's update with a bit of a story. So we have so many followers, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, it could be 10, it could be 10,000. And uh, I just wanted to tell you about one of mine. So a few years ago, I had someone pop up in my feed that started following me and liking all my posts on Twitter and Instagram. And I wasn't sure it was it was real. I thought it was a bot. So the reason I didn't think it was a real account is because he had an icon of the uh, the eye from the HAL 9000 computer from uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, he started, as I say, liking my stuff. And, and uh, you know, whether it's a tweet or Instagram, he was always in there tweeting and liking my material. And eventually he started reaching out to me. And then I realized, wow, <laughs> this is a real person. And so we message back and forth quite a bit. He would uh, he would flag me about interesting accounts, interesting people I should follow. He always had kind things to say about my art and my journey. You know, we got to know each other, I think, fairly well, but uh, we never spoke, never saw him in person. And I just really appreciated. Uh, he he was just he was always there, and it was fantastic. So I found out through a post that his brother Stan made a couple of weeks ago that Hal passed away on March fourth of this year. He was seventy one. It's amazing how connected you could get with somebody who you've never spoken to and never seen. And the way his brother posted it, he posted a picture of Hal. So I had never seen what Hal looked like. Until that point, you know, I'm going to miss him. Hal was an important part of my journey. You know, he connected me to to a whole bunch of people that I would have never thought of connecting to. He, he would just send me a post with their link, their Instagram or their YouTube and say, Mike, you should check these people out. You know, we often look at social media as, as a measure of the number of followers that you have or the number of likes that you get. And sometimes it just takes one to make a huge difference. You know, I'm going to strive to connect with others and interact with people uh, at the level Hal did and trying to see the connections, trying to make the connections between others and trying to help others move their journey forward and giving them an opportunity to to see things that they may not already see and to connect to people they may not already know. And I think at, at a core level, just interacting with people as people you know, I'm going to try and be that voice that I want to hear. I'm so glad I had the chance to meet Hal and to interact with him online and to share a lot of kind of commonality in what we find valuable, what we find interesting. I'll never forget that interaction, and I'm going to miss you, Hal. So the other thing I want to talk about was my latest piece I'm working on. So I've started a much larger piece. This piece is, uh, I think, uh, 9 by 14. Uh, it is a snapping turtle. I got this uh, reference image from a GoPro. I had it camping, and I had the GoPro in the water off the end of a dock, and my uh, daughter and I were down there looking for fish under the dock using the GoPro to capture the imagery. And, and I look up, and I see this big, dark green shadow moving towards me from the, uh, the depths of the lake <laughs> and realized, oh, wow, that's a turtle. 
And so I turned the camera around and I caught this uh, snapping turtle coming up. And its carapace or its shell was probably about 18, 18 inches, which makes it quite old, probably 70, 80 years old. And it came up, checked things out, and then turned and uh, headed back into the water, into the deeper water. And it was just so cool. So um, anyways, I grabbed a few stills from that video. And that's what I'm drawing as my next graphite piece. So in this one, I'm actually mixing it up a little bit. I'm using my typical GraphGear 1000 with 2B lead. But I'm also using my uh, some 2mm clutch pencil leads just to get some larger coverage. I'm also making use of the Mars Lumograph Black, uh, which we'll talk about in the interview, and trying to get some kind of deeper blacks, because this is going to be overall a, a, quite a bit of a darker image, and it's kind of got a tricky play on light. So I'm partway into this. I'm going to probably do... I've done a few live draws around it. I'm going to do a few more as I continue working on this. It's been fun, and uh, I've incorporated some a bunch of other... Uh, reference images into this as well as a matter of additional materials and things like that. So it's not a single image, but it's a composite of a few things I, I have. This is kind of part of my journey in trying to do a mix of sketches and larger pieces uh, now that the uh, temperature is warming up. So I plan to get out and do some more ink and watercolor and water-soluble graphite work to see where that takes me as well. So spring is here and I'm looking forward to it. I spent the weekend uh, cleaning out the duck houses. We have duck houses around the pond. And while it's not drawing related, <laughs> if you look back at my timeline, I have quite a few ducklings in that. And those are actually ducklings that emerged from the duck houses we have, were these uh, wild ducks, um, both mergansers, hooded mergansers, and wood ducks come to stay at our pond every year and then off they go. So we just, uh, just keep the boxes clean. I change out the shavings in the spring and they will be here soon. So as a matter of my inspiration for drawing, I get it from nature. And so we help to kind of foster that with uh, the gardens we have and the pond and everything around the yard, because it's, you know, nature's here. And so we want to encourage it. It is the basis for a lot of what I draw. And I really uh, enjoy where we live, and we try to keep it open and, and natural and enticing for uh, nature to come and make a house here even uh, even if it's just for a few months. So uh, that's been exciting as well. So I think that's it as a matter of updates. So I was going to talk about uh, Clubhouse, but I'm not going to go into that yet. That is an app that's only available on iOS, and you can only get in with an invite. And I've been using it for some time. So if you are using it, you can find me on Clubhouse at Mike underscore Hendley, and you can connect with me there. I'm probably going to spin up a room around the podcast just to talk about uh, previous episodes and things like that. But I'm not going to go in depth, except to say that if you are on Clubhouse, uh, find me and uh, follow me. I'll follow you. Maybe in a future episode, I'll cover it in further detail. So with that, I think we'll uh, head into the interview. So it's with thanks to one of my patrons that I had the opportunity to connect with my guest this week. His charcoal and his graphite work are incredible. And as soon as I saw his technique, I needed to learn more. His process of building an abstract shape and waiting for the subject to visit his paper sounded so interesting. His skill in manipulating graphite and charcoal are amazing, which he shares openly through his Instagram and YouTube accounts. To talk about his creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Eric Messenger. Eric, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you. That's such a nice thing to say. I think connections are so important, and it's so great when you have people on Instagram and Twitter and various other locations that that send you a message and or or somehow tag you and say, "Hey, 
you got to check this guy out. You got to check this woman out and the work she's doing or whatever the case, right? And so the reason I found you is because one of my patrons posted your work and said, you got to check this guy, Eric, out. He does this amazing graphite and charcoal. And um, I need to find out his name. Send him something. <laughs> it's like a bribe. Well, I, yeah, I, I can. Uh, he, he follows you on, uh, on Instagram, but I didn't ask permission to use his name, so I won't. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was... I stumbled into your your work, and it was just mesmerizing to see not only the the content of kind of your recent pieces, but the way you described it, uh, because you largely work in kind of graphite and charcoal, mm-hmm. and a lot of fantasy pieces. And this, the way you describe these is kind of, you know, who's going to visit my my canvas today? Who's going to visit me today? And who am I going to? And I just thought I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> So I'm so glad that we could connect and that you put a t- the time aside to do this. This is fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I was just thrilled when you talk about getting that that uh, email. When I got your email, I was just like, ah, just telling all my friends about it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Thank you. So I wanted to, uh, as I always do, kind of start from where you came from mm-hmm. and talking about maybe how did you get into art and drawing was this something that you've always done i mean we did we do it as kids we all do it as kids sure but is it something you've always done did you stick with that through high school college i i did i started off um i think a lot of as a lot of people do at my age dungeons and dragons was a huge influence on me you know wilmore and uh you know and frazetta i mean those were probably two of the big ones that i did but it was dungeons and dragons and drawing my own characters and drawing my friends characters and uh they were rudimentary at best. They didn't have knees, but, you know, <laughs> it was fun. And and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it kind of went through junior high. I was blessed to have an amazing teacher that just showed me all the all sorts of different ways. And as a matter of fact, what, the, what I'm doing now with the abstracts came pretty much directly from him in my, own, my junior high school years. Wow. Yeah. And I, I was really blessed. And even in... High school, uh, my art teacher was a working artist. So we'd go to his studio on a regular basis in uh, Colorado, Manatee Springs. So it was really, was really blessed to grow up that way. And were you working with like pencils and, and paints? Like were you mixing it all together and just trying a bunch of things at that age? Or Yeah, when, in junior high, the, the, it, was, it was very much an abstract that we would create, but it was an ink abstract, so lots of colors. And from that, we'd use crayons and ink and white out anything we could think of to create a piece from your imagination. And so we did a lot of that. And as, as I moved into high school, we, that's when I moved more into oils and, and a little bit of acrylics, but mostly oils. That's awesome. And so did you continue on into college or university into art? And- I did not. I did not. I just, I tried college for a little while and it just, I was just one of those guys that didn't fit me very well. You know, I, that's okay. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, just didn't, didn't work. And so I, uh, you know, I had a, a, a job that I actually really enjoyed and comics was kind of a passion at that point. And so I had gone to a lot of shows and such like that and ended up working for image. So I don't know if we're jumping a little bit, but I was pretty young still, you know, but I was, 24 25 at that point and so i would do i do a lot of color work a lot of card work some covers no specific titles but it was just a passion i loved anatomy and i still do and so comics was just kind of that thing for me 
And so Image, just so the listener is aware what Image is. Image Comics. And what kind of comics were, were under Image that people would know? So there's three big three big guys. So uh, you had Jay Lee, you had Spawn came out of came out of Image Comics. That's probably one of the biggest names that came out of Image Comics. I I didn't work on that title ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of the time I worked at a different office and and I just did spot work. You know, like they'd send me a huge, you know, like, okay, here's 10 pages to do. And that 10 pages could be five pages of one book and five pages of another book. So how did you get into an organization like that without... That is kind of a funny story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is I had a friend who was doing it and I lived in Seattle at that time and so did he. And we were sharing studio space together. And he said, hey, I'm going to fly down to California and work in house. Do you want to come with me? Sure, I'll go with you. And I flew down there and there's this guy named Drew and he was just an amazing artist. So we got there and it was late. It was 12, one o'clock and we went into the studio and Drew was still there. And the guy who brought me there just kind of left me and I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't know what I was doing. I was really young. Anyhow, Drew showed me how to use, and I never used a computer at that point either. So he, he taught me how to use Photoshop. He taught me how to use a Cintiq and he set me free as he was doing a project late at night and I colored my first piece with him as kind of a mentor. And it was funny after that, he says, where are you staying? Nowhere. And I ended up staying with him for, for the, and after that I was in like Flynn. I'd fly down every twice a year and we'd do work and he'd send me work and it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so were you doing that? So that was a, a full-time gig for you at that point? Or was that no. just a passion just, kind of project? Off the it was side? a passion thing. It was freelance. I mean, I got paid paid per piece, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I was working a full-time job that was that paid the bills. And how long did you do that before you transitioned to your next gig? About three years. So it was late 80s, early 90s, so 89, 90, 91. Okay. As we all know, the, the, the whole bottom of the world just dropped out of comics at that point. And you went from making really good money to, for me, it was a struggle. And, uh, and so that's when I kind of got out of the comic book world and uh, went into graphic design for real. It's what I still do, to me, frankly. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it pays the bills. There's a huge market for that. And, you know, especially with web and print, um, especially web getting a, a big uh, kick in the, in the mid-90s, right? Uh, yeah. I, I did that as well for years. I, I did everything. I mean, yeah. it was one-stop shop stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it was really fun. I mean, I, I, and I still do enjoy it immensely. And, and there is something for me that, that keeping the money out of the work for me truly changes my work anything that i've i feel that anything that i've been commissioned to do that has altered what i the style that i normally do is never the best work that i do and so i like having the job so that i can just explore my own personal work right it's important to me and so in in doing so have you kind of kept this new side hustle of yours. Um, have you kept that going for a number of years? Is that like, is it core to who you are now and, and just kind of keeping this moving and, and keeping these characters and bringing them to life on a regular basis? It is, you know, that's, that's kind of a funny, interesting story. I, I attended, have you heard of one fantastic week? Before? No. 
it's a they do a, a YouTube page and they do a, a big kind of a not a conference, but you know, you you pay a certain amount of money, you go there and it's four days of seminars kind of thing. And I went there and I had I must have had twenty seven digital paintings at that point, all printed out. And I had never really showed any. I didn't have an Instagram page at that point. I just worked for myself, for myself, doing my own thing. And I walked in and they're having a portfolio review. And they're looking at the portfolio. They look at me, look at the portfolio and go, where, where, where have you been? What are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing nothing. I'm painting. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> you know. And, and that started a really interesting path um, as far as starting shows and uh, comic book shows and things like that. Because I had a lot of still work of characters, comic characters that I, could, that I could sell making prints out of. And so I did that for a few years as well. And, and so you're still in graphic design now. I am. And you're still doing this stuff on the side. Yes. Um, I'm not going to say that's where I'm at, but I'm I'm trying to do all the art stuff in the side. Mm-hmm. The, my day job is in health research, so nothing oh, to nice. do with, with art or graphic design. Well, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. Part of it is is designing sites and things like that at times. But would you ever want to do your side hustle full-time? I've often thought about that. I've been I've been lucky enough to do some stuff for a director who works for uh, Netflix and such like that. And it's, it's fun work, but I, you know, I always go back to saying for me, I never feel like I do the best, my best work when I'm working for a client that's looking for something very specific. And so I think the only way I, I would take commissioned work as far as concept work is if they looked at my, you know, in my Instagram pages, you see there and go, that's mm-hmm. what we want. Exactly like that. Do what you want, right. how you want, but we just need five works, seven monsters and whatever. And I would take that, you know, but it'd have to be pretty open. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, cause I, I love, I just love art. I love the process of art. I love creating. I love, you know, when we talk about having somebody visit you, and that's how I feel. And, and I keep five or six pieces going at once. I create these abstracts and these characters just kind of come out. And I just, I just absolutely love it. I love to see who's going to come out next. And then I like solving the problems of once you see the face, what's the rest going to look like? Because I think that's the questions I get asked the most on Instagram is, okay, you start with a face, but you got an abstract, but you still are going to try to, you're trying to going to do a completed piece. So how do you, form that right that's what's so compelling about the way that you do this and you know for the person listening as per usual i'm gonna have really good show notes on this so that anything that eric talks about (laughs) including his youtube page and his instagram will be there but i wanted to kind of explore this a bit further before we get into the the (laughs) nitty-gritty of graphite (laughs) and charcoal um because you work during the day now in graphic design but you're using digital tools so you have a Cintiq, I would assume, or something similar. I do. And but now on your side hustle, you're focused on the graphite and the charcoal. Mm-hmm. Do, are you still doing digital on the side, or are you just more compelled now with like what brought you from those pieces that you did and you brought to the show that were digital p- pieces that you printed out to a point now where you're focusing on graphite and charcoal? What what pulled you to the to that mm. physical medium? That's a great question. It's I still love the digital side of things. I would paint in Photoshop. So I'd draw, I'd draw something, I'd scan it, and then I would start painting in Photoshop. And when you're working on a Cintiq or even a Wacom tablet, there is still that 
natural feeling, especially a Cintiq, when you're, you know, they're just, they're magical tools. But I got to a point where I really, I wanted something I could hold in my hands. And I think that's the problem with digital for me, was that when you're done, there is no original. It's, it's a print. It's always a print. You know, it's printed out. Okay, I got a print now. There's nothing that's original, one of a kind that you can hold in your hand. And so when, you know, so I just started making that transition. I started working more in oils and, and I liked that, but I didn't love it. One of my mentors said that they, I mean, they could stay up forever and paint and it was just there they just forever. For me, two or three hours and I had enough, you know, or even sometimes I even felt like I was looking for, for the excuse, like, you know, you do the perfect brush stroke and you're like, God, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? Nice. Um, but when it came to charcoal and graphite, I could work all night long and just be the super, super happy. And so I just kind of sat back and and realized that that's what I love and that's what I want to do. And uh, just became comfortable with that and understand that, yes, oils are magical, but it doesn't mean that they have to be magical for me. Right. So your work is is interesting, and maybe let, let's talk about that, because the way that you do it, and I've looked at, I've watched a few of your YouTube videos and seen your work, it's it's so compelling because you, you lay down the powder on the paper, and mm-hmm. then you're looking for faces and shapes, and then you're slowly removing material, and then you're adding back in, you know, some of the detail and that yeah. kind of stuff, so... It's a really interesting process versus how I would work where I'm trying, you know, as most people would draw where you focus on an outline and you start to bring in, you know, a value and, and uh, you know, the, the detail and the texture mm-hmm. and all that. And, you know, we talked just before we started recording that I think we see drawing with pencil and charcoal the same way, but inverse. So when yeah. I look down, I see a pencil or charcoal drawing and I see it already. I just need to pull it out from the paper. Oh, nice. And for you, you're searching for that in the charcoal that you've laid down or the graphite, and mm-hmm. you're starting to expose it so we can all see what you see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, th- I just, if you can talk about your process there, because I think that's just so, I, as I say, like when this, when this patron of mine pointed you out to me and I, I watched a couple of your videos, it's like, I'm going to have to try that process that's just a really neat way to do it so maybe well, you can talk about it a little bit sure i you know i and i actually have two processes i work i have one for graphite and one for charcoal um the charcoal one as we're talking about here i like to just tape down a piece of paper and i take powder charcoal with a big brush and create an abstract and i just let it go and then i start using smaller brushes and i get something that i go oh i like that shape it's a cool shape and then i put it aside and I have around my studio, I have all these little easels and they're just up. And then I look at them periodically, well, all the time, because I walk past them and they're in my studio. And I wait for, I, till I see a face that I find really, really interesting. And then here's where I like, what I love about the charcoal, because I feel like I'm painting because I take brushes and I paint. I start painting, you know, it's a subtractive process. So you start removing removing charcoal with a paintbrush and you wipe it with your hands and you get a little bit of that oil on the brush and that'll take off a little bit more and you can shade and and pull out with a brush and it makes you feel like you're painting and you are you are painting right Mm -hmm. and then and that's how i find the characters first and that's you know once i get into the detail like the eyes and things like that is when i start using uh 
the charcoal pencils and I start adding to the piece. It's funny because I I had James Gurney on and he was talking about, you know, he, he was, he, he is amazing. (laughs) Um, but you see him when he does his, his YouTube videos, he's always priming his pieces with casein um, as when he's doing the watercolor. So it, it he's got something to work with, right? And mm-hmm. uh, that serves as a base. And you're really priming your drawings with charcoal. <laughs> you're right. Uh, but it becomes part, the, the background uh, then becomes part of the foreground. And like, It does. And so how many, you've got a few of these pieces around you now that are just sitting there waiting for the face to come out and say hi. Yeah, I have three inside that I'm working on that because I don't, if I'm going to watch TV or I'm going to sit down, I'm, I'm drawing, you know, I'm drawing. So I have three inside and I have one, two, three, four, four here waiting. So that's what, seven pieces that are sitting around just waiting. And three of them are in, they're, they're already, they're visiting. At this point, we're having conversation, you know, and I'm exploring, you know, if they're having clothing. You know, just what do they look like? You know, I'm wondering about when you're when you're waiting when they're when they visited and you're trying to understand uh, what they're going to look like. Uh-huh. Do you think about what they do, where they live, how the environment impacts them, what their name could be? Like, uh, how, how do you start thinking about them? That the stories do come as you're working on them. You know, I. They're, they're definitely, when you see my pieces on Instagram and stuff, you'll see some definite, you know, uh, I don't want to call them trademarks, but they're things that I do constantly. I love big noses and I love big ears. And when you look at my pieces, you see those all the time. So I'm definitely influenced by what I feed myself artistically. You know, when you look at other artists' books and you look at, and you're some of your favorite artists, you'll always see that in what you imagine. On the paper, it's a really interesting thing too. I, that's one other reason why I love it, because you can see your influences. I don't always give them a name. They don't always have an occupation. I just—it's almost like a casual visit, you know. As as they they sit there and you're just talking with them, and they're just kind of explaining what they look like and how they're going to look. They're, you know, sometimes they'll have four arms or something like that, and I don't exactly know, you know. So it's not necessarily an in-depth conversation it's it's more of a very brief visit if you will um some that last longer definitely have names and they come out um and have stories and other ones are just characters just people that showed up on the drawing board and (laughs) wanted to say hi (laughs) do you ever do you ever feel compelled to write some of this down i do i do write and i yeah i do have a it's a it's called the dominion of giants and it's a it's a world in which that i work with and it's a it's a world that's ruled by giants and uh so i definitely work within that it's called boundary but i work within that yeah so that layer is always sitting there thinking is this part of that world and how does it fit in and it does it really does cool you know and yeah but some of them will be there and some of them are just here and gone and they they live on the paper and they'll never see anything else unless somebody buys them and they get hung on a wall (laughs) right (laughs) and and how much time do you normally spend on one of your pieces i'd say six to ten hours okay about right and do you prefer so you talked about the charcoal approach Mm -hmm. right can you talk about how you 
work with graphite. Absolutely. And that it's a similar approach in the sense that I'm still trying to create a, a, uh, an abstract, but you know, you've always seen the people that, that, you know, you'll start with a scribble with their right hand. Um, and so I used to do that all the time. I just start taking a piece of paper and just start scribbling, right? Look away, come back until you start seeing shapes once again. A lot of times you'll see an eye and a nose or a shape of a head, and that starts the conversation that you're having there. Um, but I noticed that when you do it all the time with your right hand, that you'll always have movements that just come naturally. And so you'll notice that you'll start replicating shapes over and over again, even though you're trying to be abstract, it's just because your right or your left hand, whatever you're drawing with is the dominant. So then I switched to my left hand because I draw with my right. So I switched to my left hand to do the scribbles and found a whole new shape language in that. And it was, a, it was an interesting exercise. Jeez, that's a, that does sound like an interesting exercise. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to try that. Um, because I'm trying to tap into a bit more fantasy work. I mean, I love what I do. I'm not changing that, but I right. do want to kind of explore the fantasy bit. Um, and I really haven't shared a lot, a lot of that with my uh, on on Instagram. Uh, okay, just kind of kept that to myself. But you know, it's it's funny. Like, and and so I wanted to ask you as well because I heard this on another podcast. The, the artists were talking about you know what you share and what you don't, and you know the value and possibly having a private sketchbook a private mm -hmm. collection that you're working on do you have that or do you share most everything you're working on um to be honest i share almost everything you know even the failures even things that i'm struggling with and i actually kind of think that those are the most important things to share to let people Absolutely. know that that's that's how you grow that's how you get better that's you do something and it's just not working out but i think that approaches on a whole new idea of when you're doing through art, you're going to go through the ugly stage, good stage, ugly stage again. And it's, it's that push through, even though when you're lost, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm done. This is not going to work. And, but you say, oh, you just keep pushing and, and you trust yourself. And that's another thing I'm a really big proponent on. It's just trusting yourself as an artist. You'll figure it out. And some, and those pieces are probably some of my best pieces that I've ever done is the ones that I actually thought were complete failures and I'll post them as, this is horrible, I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden I'll push through it and three weeks later it'll be like, I can't believe I actually finished this guy. And it's, I love it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've had that where I've got a piece over to my left that I'm looking at and I'll get back to that, but it really bothers me right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're, you're exactly right, you put it away. And you just yeah. let it sit there for a while. You know, I have I, a lot of times in the house and in the studio, when they're on the, the easels, I'll turn them sideways or upside down. And mm -hmm. that's how I view them after that, just to see something new. And I think what's great, too, is, you know, by sharing what you consider would be failures. I'm sure most people disagree with you, but but you share the works in progress, too. Yes. And I think that's I, I've always said, you know, that. Typically, when you're consuming art, you're looking at the last 10 minutes of the project. Like, mm -hmm. you, you're not seeing anything beyond that. And Instagram does allow you, as an artist, to share those works in progress. Yeah. And I think that's great seeing that. Yeah. And you do that so often. And I think it's admirable because a lot of people curate their Instagram so it's nice and tidy. And, and it's okay. Some it people is. to do that. It's okay. Yeah. But I do encourage people to 
share the the process because mm-hmm. we can all learn from that as I, I'm I, learning from you. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but, but I, when it comes to Instagram, I gotta say, I think people love to see the process. And as a matter of fact, I find I get more um, reaction, more likes, more interaction as far as people comments on my pieces that are in progress rather than when I go, I'm done and I post this really pretty finished piece and everybody's kind of like, eh, all right, cool. But they really like seeing the piece that your hand is in and you're actually physically working on it. I just, you know, I, just, I feel like people like that. They want to see what you're doing and how you're doing it. Do you feel any pressure with Instagram in what you post? I used to. Instagram is an interesting animal. You know, obviously coming from the graphic design world, we have a studio and we run a lot of, of social media accounts for clients. It's an interesting blend of doing your own personal artwork and mixing in your knowledge of, of that, of that world. Mm-hmm. I used to get really tied into, oh, I only got 10 likes or I only got whatever, right? Until I realized that Instagram is not a barometer of how good a piece is. It could, it's all a matter of time, you know, the hashtags that you use. You could, you could post 10 minutes later than you normally do, and you'll eat hundreds of different likes. I mean, you'll, you'll get less or you'll get more. And it's just because you hit this timeline that worked. And so it's not a barometer of how good a piece is. Um, but I do feel like Instagram is a great barometer of, are you speaking? Is, do you have a voice that is interesting, that is different, that is... And stuff because I, you know, I'll have a lot of artists talk about, you know, you always hear some people talk about how do you find your voice? How do you find your unique voice? And I think Instagram is an interesting barometer to let you know if, if you're on something or not. Because I've done both on Instagram, I've posted my digital work and never really got much reaction from it. But as soon in the last year that I started posting my, my charcoal and graphite work, and really expressing my own personal style and my own personal, you know, voice, my Instagram as, you know, I'm not huge by any fact, but it went up from 2000 to 16,000 in the last wow. year. So it's, it's a little bit of a barometer. And, and then also where I'd never really would sell anything on Instagram. Now I get mes- instant messages and sell pieces. So it is a good barometer for me. It's been a really good barometer of, where am I at in my work? Yeah, it's uh, Instagram's tough because the algorithm is a bit brutal. Uh, <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and people use that as a measure, but, you know, it's people just aren't seeing your stuff. So, right. you know, the fact that you may have low likes doesn't mean people aren't liking it or seeing right. it. It means that people aren't seeing it more than the people aren't liking it. That's absolutely right. And, and that's, uh, that's when it comes to trying different times, trying different hashtags, trying trying things like that, that, that might get, you know, a lot of people talk about they're putting their hashtags and are putting that are, you know, a million followers and stuff like that. And when you post on something like that, your hashtag hits there and it's gone in an instant. You're not, nobody's seeing that. Nobody's seeing that. So you look for those lower, lower number ones that people kind of have the same style. And it's always good to try and leverage things like, you know, I didn't do anything for St. Patrick's day, but I didn't either. Doing something for those events. Like I'm mm-hmm. looking at, at your second last piece here, which looks like an old woman. Um, yeah. <laughs> would, be, would that be great for Mother's Day? <laughs> You're right. It would be. It absolutely would be. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I think capitalizing on that is is always good. Yeah. So I wanted to, I, I, you had done a, a YouTube video because I thought it was really interesting. You were working on a piece, wasn't a human, but you were using a, a, a tool on your iPad, an app on your iPad to try and work through some of the parts of the body. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool. I hadn't really thought about it, but the way that you were just trying to address the light on, you know, the upper part of the shoulder and mm-hmm. and the cheek and things like that, I was thinking that's a really interesting approach to doing a fantasy piece. Do you do that often? Almost every piece. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when people talk about getting photo reference and such like that, um, the way I work since I, I find the character first, I'm not thinking about photo reference at that time. And even after I find the character, I still am not, I don't want to find photo reference on the average. Um, but I have these apps that one is handy and it's a, it shows the, the head and it has hands on it and stuff like that. And you can move it in full 3D space. You can light it with three, four different lights. And so I'll use that. I'll use those apps to inform what I'm working on. So I could be working on a dragon, but I can take an old man's 3D head, move it in the same spot, start lighting it. And it can inform what you're doing. You can start thinking about jaw lines and how the shadow might be cast or your brow line and, and how that shadow might kind of cut through and, and create, you know, because you need that, that depth to push that eyeball back, you know what I mean, and create shape. So I use those to inform my pieces. Yeah, and I think the, uh, I'll include a link to that video and then okay. maybe uh, to the apps as well. But your video on it's really good, so I'd recommend if you've got an iPad and you're doing pencil work, that uh, checking out these these apps is is something that I'm going to be doing. Uh, I didn't see those till um, till recently, and I just haven't had a chance to install them. But I'm always for something like that. That's a really cool approach because, as you say, like you know, a dragon has a cheek too, right? Yeah. <laughs> and being able to pull the lights in. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my- and when I'm thinking about, when I think about my, my things, I always think about the skeletal system. You know, I'm always trying to think, um, you know, it's got to kind of make sense. You know right. what I mean? So. Yeah, I was, it's interesting you mentioned that because I did a a dragon, or sorry, a dragon. I say it's a dragon because it's, it's a dinosaur, but it's more like a, a, a dragonosaur. <laughs> it's, <laughs> cool. kind of a, it's kind of a mix between the two. Well, see um, But I, I had found it as a, as a uh, I guess it's, it, uh, it was on Unsplash, so it was a, a free photo reference. I didn't create it. But uh, after I did it, I realized this isn't accurate. This isn't an accurate dinosaur. And then I started researching, you know, skeletons and mm-hmm realizing I need to go down this this rabbit hole in creating dinosaurs to understand the skeletal structure and then what sits on top of that and then incorporating recent research around feathers and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I've got that whole rabbit hole just lined up to go down. <laughs> That's a big I one. Got, <laughs> put it off to the side for now. <laughs> but it's, um, it, it is anatomy is hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, because our eyes will find things. And you're addressing a good point. Like, you could have an animal that has eight toes and six horns and all that, but if the lighting is wrong, our our eyes will just think that's it, there's something wrong here, and it's not right. because it it doesn't exist. It's like no, there's something wrong. The the eyes aren't the right size. They could be different sizes, but maybe one was cut out in battle. But that has to be obvious, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I can I can go crazy on that, and I I won't. But I will say, you can always tell an artist who's studied anatomy and an artist who hasn't studied anatomy and hides behind style. Does that make sense? Okay. In other words, yes. to say, to say, Oh, it's my style. 
And my response when, when I get that is, I get it's your style, but it's obviously you haven't studied anatomy. And the people who have studied anatomy and do the work, they can deform, stretch, huge nose, big ears, big eye sockets, but they can do it and make it feel real because they know what's, they have a foundation, they know what's behind it. Right. And so I'm big, I'm a huge proponent of do the homework kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's why I've been, uh, I mean, I enjoy doing the work that I do in the realism around animals and things like that. Mm -hmm. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is, I really enjoy it. I'm not going to stop doing it. But if I do some kind of freaky blue jay, chickadee, muskrat animal thing in the future, I will have done enough of them (laughs) that I, I can piece something together that's possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah. you look at your work and it's it's so realistic. You know how to do eyes and fur. You know how to do it all, and that all will translate in in making a fantasy creature look real, totally real. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Yours will look more real than I'd ever <laughs> think about doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think I, I think I need to tone it back a little bit, and that's the struggle I have. And I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I've heard people talk about you know you've got to. You've got to almost think about leaving some stuff out to allow the the user, the person mm-hmm. looking at your work, the experience to to kind of pull it out for their consumption, pull it out in a way that means something different to them. So you don't want to give them everything, right? Yes. Yeah. And 100%. I struggle with that a little bit in understanding what is the because I want to get it right. Like I I want to get the eye right. Mm-hmm. So I, I've got to put everything in, but. It's a matter of what do I not include in that that still makes it an eye, um, and and I just haven't spent enough time on that. And it's it's just an interesting thing to walk back from when you're focused so much on detail to be able to walk back from it and say, I'm not going to do as much and not feel lazy about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think it's it's a lot like uh, Howard Lyons once you know when you watch his work, it's it, he'll tell you he'll focus all of his energies on the face and make that face look spot on amazing and then as he works out from that it gets looser and looser it still looks and feels tight but it's very loose at that point and i like that approach a lot you know even when i think of your realistic work and and if you did a muskrat right if you focused all your energy on an eye in three quarters of that head super super tight and then everything else just got loose to the point where you started having all these lost lines running around It'd be interesting. You know what I mean? Jeez. I'm going to have so much homework myself from this <laughs> from this interview. <laughs> I got to take a few days off work, I think. Just to play. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Just to play. And, yeah. And you'll see in some of my work, I won't even finish an arm. You know, I, I'm looking at a piece I just turned to my left and then, and it's it's a detailed hand. The whole forearm just looks like mist. I just... It was it was a cool shape with the with the graphite and uh, and I just decided I'm gonna leave it. I'm, you know, I'm just gonna leave it. I don't care. I, I love it. I love the shape. I love what it looks like, and it rolls in. And so it's just a shape, and then it goes into more detailed arm and stuff like that. But I do that often, where I'll just pick something and go, eh, it's good. I like it. Hmm. Done. <laughs> What's done for you? How do you feel when something is done? In and I, I so wish I could give them credit, but I, I, I never can remember their name. But I was once told that a painting is done 
when you as the artist can't see something that you'd want to change. In other words, like as a, as an oil, and I was oil painting at that point, And they said, if you can look at it and you know, that's wrong, then the painting's not done. You need to go back in, you need to fix that. And then when you can look at it and you can be, you know, what I, what I always do is, is I always pull out things that I really like about a drawing. So when I get done with something, I'll say, man, I really like that hand or I really like that eyeball. Um, and the rest of it's good, but there's certain things that I really, really like. And I try to remember those, put those into your visual memory and roll on to the next piece. But I have gone back to older pieces when I see them in a drawer somewhere and I go, wow, that anatomy is really jacked up. <laughs> and I'll go back in and I'll fix it. Um, and so it, it's all you know, based on your, the knowledge that you have at the point that you're doing the piece. But I do feel that if you're doing a piece and you know something's wrong, you should spend the time to go back in there and fix it because you're going to learn a whole lot when you go back in there and fix it. Right. Like it's fixing the mistakes. It's not getting the things right where you learn, right? So Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. going to learn so much by going back in and, and uh, not just chucking it to the side. Yeah. I was looking at some of my work today uh, hanging upstairs and I was like, oh no. <laughs> what was what was it and they're all pencil right but i i had done a blue jay and it was like what was i thinking that's what is that supposed to be i just uh but i i think you, you need the contrast like life needs contrast right otherwise mm -hmm. there's no good and there's no bad everything is vanilla so i just yeah. you know I, i'm i'm okay with that stuff hanging up in the house because i walk by it and it reminds me that i i've gotten better i've gotten but yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so i yeah. wanted to also talk maybe about tools because I've seen you kind of talk about the pencils you use and maybe, you know, everybody wants to know what everyone else uses. So I think it'd be sure. kind of interesting to talk about that and kind of what your favorite pencils are. And then we can also talk about, I'm going to lift these up. They won't be able to see it on the podcast, but. Oh these, yeah, I've got those. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> these Mars Lumograph Black that we can talk about as well, but maybe we can go into kind of what your kind of chosen tools are as a matter of uh, working with uh, because I, I know that people are listening and be thinking okay I just you know maybe somebody hasn't done charcoal before because not a lot of people that I know have done charcoal so I think mm -hmm. if they were to go out and buy a kit what would you what do you use and what would you recommend as two or three things to get going sure I like I like the generals charcoal pencils okay those are some of my favorite and what I like is I like, I'm gonna, I'll, just, I'll just list them. It's a 2H hard. It's an HB hard, a 2B medium, and then a 4B soft. And so these are the ones I work with. I tend to move almost always to the, to the HB and to the hard. Because you can use a pencil sharpener on those and you can sharpen the heck out of them and get a super sharp point so you can get that detail. And then the darker ones are the... Uh, the, the 4B and the 2B are the ones that I, I fill in larger spaces. I use a paintbrush. And it is, it is a layering effect. So I do use paintbrushes. And I use soft ones. And I use also the, the harder bristle ones Okay. to go along okay. with that. And then obviously, um, I use a soft um, kneaded eraser. Uh, right. Um, and I, use, I, I have several of them. So I'm, you know the, the new ones are really soft, right? And they're going to pull mm -hmm. a lot of... A lot of charcoal off and because you, you never you know the big hint you never go back and forth you dab on charcoal right. and it right. pulls it off right but i use another you know my other ones are like super dark and have been used a lot and these ones i can 
move across a, a, a space and I can actually shade with these a little bit because they're not pulling as much charcoal off. That's a good point. It's fun. And then I use some, oh, what do you call these things? Little oh, the, blenders. The, yeah, the tortillas or blenders, yeah. And as far as paper goes, I love watercolor paper. Really? You know, I love it to have a little tooth. Yeah, I really okay. do. As a matter of fact, I, I, uh, I have a video up on my YouTube page that I did over a year ago. And I was like, got to use hot press. Hot press is the only paper to use. Now I'm like, oh, man, I don't use hot press at all. I use all <laughs> cold press papers. <laughs> it's just horrible. It's horrible. But, you know, I'm, I was learning at that point. You know, I always used Bristol super smooth papers. And, uh, and at that point, that's what I use. And when I do graphite work, that's what I use. Is the Bristol smooth. When I do charcoal, yeah, when I do charcoal, I'll move over to, to a watercolor paper. And at that point, I, I almost use anything that I can find that I like. So why, is, why the watercolor with the charcoal? Just because it's got more tooth to hold it? Like, do you have struggles yeah. with kind of removing graphite? Or not graphite, charcoal? Yeah, when I, when I put, put it on a, a smooth, like a Bristol, Arches is really good too, but the, when you put it on you know, a charcoal on a Bristol, man, the teeny little brush stroke just removes it so fast that it's just it's too much. For me, it's just, it comes off too fast, too easy. Where on, on a paper that has more tooth, I can, you know, I can paint and then I can scrub it. You know, I can use my, you know, the dabbing of, my, of a good, clean, kneaded eraser will get almost all of it off. But I feel like I have more flexibility with the old press papers. That's, I've got a couple of, I tried watercolor and I'm going to go back to it, but I, I bought a bunch of uh, cold press uh, blocks. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to maybe have to turn one of those into a, a bit of charcoal practice. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried your graphite on those yet? I haven't. I, I did through like a sketchbook. I, I have a sketchbook that's watercolor and I tried uh, graphite in that. And I, I, I find it, it it's just too rough for me. Like I really like a smooth paper. So I, I'm using Bristol smooth vellum. Like that's, that's okay. my preferred paper. Okay. Nice. Yeah. But so it, Bristol, uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope we did ever thought of, I'm going to have to, uh, as I say, I've got a bit of homework now because I've got these, uh, these blocks. I'm looking at them. I'm thinking now oh, that they could go to use maybe with, uh, with some charcoal. So have you ever tried arches paper? So that's the, the watercolor blocks I have is the, uh, okay. the arches. Uh, there's actually have okay. three sizes of the same kind because they were on special. It's amazing paper. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing in with watercolor in those blocks because you can just use it and it's you know it's restrained. It's not going to buckle on you and uh, it's beautiful mm -hmm. paper to work with. But I just get frustrated with watercolor. It's like don't go that way. <laughs> that's yeah. that's not where I want you to go. And I just left, uh, left, uh, left. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Come back here. You gotta don't touch the yellow. Uh, so it's it's I, I've I've had a, a few uh, artists in watercolor come on, and and I always get so inspired, and then I go out and do some stuff. And um, I've done some urban sketching, which I think for me feels more forgiving in the use of watercolor. Oh. But it's just because it's like everything else. I just haven't spent enough time with it. But I'm ready when I'm, you know, I've got the tools when I decide to get back into it. Once it gets warmer out, I'll probably do it. Yeah, that you did that podcast, and I apologize, I forget his name, but he was talking about the urban sketching that he did. Yes, Merrick. Yes, yes, yes. that was really, that, that inspired me to want to get out there and, 
and try some more, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, after the podcast, I, I inked up two of my pens. <laughs> I'm oh. Like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get out and do something. It's just, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're still, we like where I am, we still have snow on the ground. Okay. And so, uh, you know, maybe another week or two, then it'll be more interesting, I think, for me to, to get out and have the, have the windows okay. down if I have to be in a place where I just have to stay in my vehicle. Um, <laughs> you know, I, at least I'm going to be uh, comfortable, so. But so I go. wanted to also ask you about the the charcoal. Like when you're doing those works, it's are you using a fixative? Like can you use fixative on charcoal? Do you worry about that? Does it? Like I, I do. I, I, As a matter of fact, I was just going to ask you what you use. To be honest with you, <laughs> I use I do use a fixative. In it's a tough one for me, and I, I got to say I'm still looking for a uh, this guy named Travis. He's sent me where he uses a, a airbrush and he puts. Oh gosh, I wish I could remember what it is. It's it's a it's just a different technique. I use fixative. The fixative does you can lose some of your mid values with it. Yep. Super subtly. And I don't know if you have that same problem or not, but I do. If I spray it and I spray enough of it to make it so it's pretty it's pretty there, it's pretty sealed. I feel like I've lost a little something. Just a little. I, I struggle with that. Yeah, I would agree. I I, I just use the the Krylon low odor a spray mm. fixative and it works but i find that i agree like it does it does seem to punch it up a little bit um until it dries mm-hmm. but then i always feel that i have to go back in and i have to sometimes i have to go in and just add a bit more graphite in certain areas i don't so i, I i've only done one class ever for art and it was a workshop in ottawa yeah. with a graphite artist from um from England and it was a three-day workshop and he was talking about he uses spray fixative a lot and he will get to a point on his drawing put spray uh, fixative down and then come in with another layer and another layer and another layer and he doesn't go darker than like 4b um, mm-hmm. but he achieves the darkness just by layering right and that's what I've yes. tried to do is staying away like I don't draw I, do, I really don't go darker than 2b I have a 4b sometimes but I rarely use it it's everything is is, Mm -hmm. it's as dark as 2b and that's as far as i go now um and i've actually tried the other way where i'm using a um a uh, tombow 6b and i try to do everything with a 6b and that's okay a nice challenge to try and get the real light stuff (laughs) with a 6b (laughs) because it's uh I mean, I love the Tombow, but I, I, the, I'm not used to that graphite yet. I, I've because I usually work with a 0.3 millimeter, and working with a wooden pencil, especially that kind of graphite, there's something. It it feels a bit frenetic when I'm putting it down. That it just kind of wants to go, and it's like I I need you to be a bit more controlled. It's hard to, I, I can't explain it. But no. for me, I, I need to spend more time with the six B. Yeah, you know, I I went and started when as far as graphite goes, I use the the two millimeter architectural pencils. The, yes. You know, the, and the clutch pencils. Yes, yeah. and I really like those because there's so many different varieties of lead that you can get, mm-hmm. and um, and I personally like the Stedler leads. They they work yep. really really good, and um, you know as you can sharpen those things up, get a really nice edge, and as they dull, you can cover more area with them. I kind of because I used to do a, a 0.5 and a 0.7 for a really long time, and then I, and so I think I go back and forth, but usually I do the two millimeters. As far as graphite goes 
And do you go dark? Like, do you go, because in the, like in the 0.3 millimeter, I think the darkest you can do is 2B. In the 0.5 millimeter, the darkest you can do is 4B. But in a 2 millimeter clutch pencil, you could go 8B if you want. Yeah, um, and I have a few 6Bs, but I, I'll be honest with you, I don't go there. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty much where you're at. A 2B with graphite is pretty comfortable for me. And then I layer it. Yeah, You know, I definitely layer it. I think the reason that... I, I was pulled to kind of the point. Well, I tried the point five, and I didn't find. I'm okay. It, it's weird. I'm okay with a two millimeter. It's fine. Like I can get nice, tight, clean lines, nice detail. Point five is too big. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I, there's something about. Point, I either have to use two millimeter or point three. But point oh, wow. five, I, I just it's not the right size for me. But the only reason I moved to point three was because uh, before the pandemic, I would draw at lunch. And I've got okay. these, uh, the graph gear pencils that where, where you can retract the, the the pencil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was able to carry it around with me without worrying about lead everywhere. Now, I did find for the two millimeter, there is a small little square sharpener you can get that contains all the sharpening. So you don't have to carry that little plastic doohickey around. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, so I did carry that around as well, but I was so used to using the 0.3 that that's what I do now. But, but the snapping turtle that I'm working on now, um, I'm using a mix of the two millimeter and the 0.3, and it feels like okay. I'm home again. I really do like. I have to agree. Like the two millimeter clutch pencils are fantastic to work with. They're really and you fun. Can, I do, and you can extend them. the lead out. Like you're not sharpening a piece mm-hmm. of wood where you need. You just pull it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really feel like an artist then, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. until you realize that you got a 4B lead and it's really soft and you press on it and it breaks in half, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So have you, so I want to go back to that Mars Lumograph because I just got these recently. Mm-hmm. I've been using them as well. What's your feeling on those? The And, and so I should be specific here that just for the listener, I'm talking, so the, the, the set I'm talking about, are they're made by Stadler. And it's a Mars Lumograph Black. And uh, the particular set I have has, I think it's two 4Bs. It has a 8B, 6B, and two 2Bs. And these are wooden pencils, but they're supposed to not have the shine right. that a normal graphite does. So I'll let you take it from there. I have the same thing here. <laughs> so you <laughs> awesome. have there. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that is what moved me into doing... Uh, doing charcoal is the fact that when I was working with with graphite, I really struggled with the shine, um, you know, wh- where I was working, how I work. Sometimes, I, like I said, I sit in front of the TV. I'd have to move the piece to get it so I didn't have a shine, especially when I got dark. And and I didn't want that shine. I, you know, for my personal style, I didn't want the shine. So I got the lumographic ones and I really like them. What I did is I kind of narrowed it down to there's, the, even though they're they're different ones, there's, I think it, it's the 2B and the 4B, um, or maybe it's the 6B, and it's been a while since I used it, actually have less reflective qualities to them. But the 6B and the 8B, I felt like had quite, were, were still very reflective. They're still different in their, in their nature as far as, as how they, they work and they act. Awesome pieces. Uh, you know, awesome pencils. Stedler just makes great products in general. They do. But... Yeah. It still, I still got to a point where I wanted something that was, I wanted to feel like velvety, you know, so it's on a cold mm. pressed paper, the charcoal goes on, you use a paintbrush to really scrub it in, you get the super dark, but it feels velvety in its nature. 
And I right. liked that a lot. And that was my my quest when I got these Mars Lumographic pens. And and I feel like out of every pencil that I've ever used that's a graphite pencil, these definitely are some of the best ones I've used. Yeah, they, I mean, they really put down the graphite nicely. The thing I, th- I think I find frustrating about them is they feel a bit scratchy. They remind me of a, of a colored pencil. Yes. Um, yes. Have you noticed that it's different for each one? Yeah. 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 Like some, yeah, you some, could close your eyes and just and you could tell. Yeah. That's right. That's so good. That's a good point. You close your eyes and you could tell which one you got in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I use the when I was drawing a lot. I got to say I use the Tombos, um, especially the um, the monos, the mono one hundreds. Yes. Yeah. And those are amazing. They are. And so That's what you I've got, got the standard Tombos, and then you got the Tombo, the mono one hundreds. Definitely worth the money to, to jump up to those monos if you're going to. You want to experiment with those with graphite, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I just went and so some of the snapping turtle I've been using this uh, this black wing. Oh, I love black wings too. And uh, that's my first experience with the with a black wing was on the on the turtle, and that's been kind of fun too. I do like black wings. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah, <laughs> I feel I, like I've experimented with so many different types of pencils that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's almost ridiculous to see all the pencils I have in this thing. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny. I've heard people talk about this, but you know, there's there's two sides to being an artist. There's the art that you create, and then there's the art tool collector <laughs> that lives in all of us, right? Where you have pads and blocks and pencils and erasers. And uh, like I use, I, I don't use a, a needed, well, I don't use a formal needed eraser, eraser. I use something called BlueTac. Oh yeah, and uh, that well, was. How do you like that? I, I love it. Do you? Well, I'm yeah. gonna have to try that. Now yeah. I got something to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was with this workshop with Mike Sibley that he's like he brought us the blue tack from England, and he's like, "Here, this is part of the course, right?" And I tried it, and was like, "Oh, this feels this is nice. Oh, <laughs> I, I like it." So oh, I'm gonna um, try it. Yeah, and if 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 you're listening and you can't find blue tack, just get that blue stuff at Walmart. You know that you use to kind of it's almost like plasticine. You can get it in a mm-hmm. in a block. It works just as well. Okay, uh, but you know a lot of people like needed erasers. I I don't I, it. I don't know. I've always just used this. Yeah, I have some needed eraser, <laughs> but I just never used it. That's so funny. Yeah, it is funny. You know when you're when you're ordering stuff online you know with amazon you can you can get one pencil a 4b pencil you can get one for dollar fifty or you can get a whole box for 10 bucks you know i'll just take the whole box because what if i really like it yeah you know if i really like it i want you know (laughs) that's what i end up with that's why i have a box of black wings Mm -hmm. (laughs) see that's a big box too (laughs) it is a big box but you know i'm in canada it's like i don't know if i can order from you guys again in my life so just (laughs) <laughs> send yeah, me everything <laughs> exactly you know that the, the moment you don't do that is going to be the moment that it's like this is magic i need i need these and then you can't get them yeah and then you're stuck and as a matter of fact I, with uh these generals pencils uh sometimes it's hard to find the harder ones like the 2h okay and uh man i couldn't find them online i couldn't find them and i went to a small little town over the holiday season i walked into this arts and crafts store mostly craft they had a teeny bit of art stuff yeah and they had like six you know sets of those things and i looked at her the lady was there and I, where'd you get these and she said, oh yeah we just get those all the time and i'm like you know you can't find these i bought them all 
I said, it's okay if I have them all. She goes, sure. She goes, I make money from it. She goes, I'll just, so I bought them all, you know? Nice. <laughs> you just, oh. anyhow. Nice. So I wanted to maybe chat a little bit about your YouTube mm-hmm. because that's, um, that's something that takes some effort to, uh, to put together and produce and, and, I'm just wondering how you found that experience because you've got some great instructional videos and I just, I haven't had a chance to go through them all, but, uh, I I absolutely love doing the YouTube, you know, it's, it's not something that is huge for me, but it's, it is kind of a, a core passion. I really, really enjoy it. And it's really what started it was, you know, you get these questions on Instagram of how do you do this? What's your process? What tools do you use? And, you know, and so I was keeping these notes that I try to cut, copy, and paste, and, and it just it, it doesn't it doesn't say the same thing when you're trying to tell somebody how you do something in words versus if they can actually see it. And so that's when I just started the YouTube, going, okay, well, so now I have kind of a set of, of videos on there that I can, when somebody asks, I can send them somewhere. Hmm. You know, go go check this out. You'll see the whole process, kind of thing. It just made it easier to help somebody out who is asking about certain things. And the other thing we did is we did a video. Uh, my wife is getting her master's degree in kinesiology. And it's all about muscle memory. It's things like that. And it's so many things that we talk about, even the 10,000-hour rule mm-hmm. that she uses. And, and so I'm listening to all of her papers, and it's, it's kind of rolled into we're, gonna, we're starting a series. We've done one on YouTube right now that talks about talent in that it's kind of a, it's kind of a farce. There really is no such thing as talent. And, uh, and it's, it's backed by studies. It's not just another artist or sort of you're somebody telling you it doesn't exist. It's actually a proven, a proven thing. There's, mm-hmm. there's studies out there that prove that talent is not really there. You're not a natural talent, that there's parts in your life, there's times in your life that, that spark the creativity, that, that make you want to invest the time that it takes to be a really good artist. Yeah, I, th- I was listening to that or watching that video, and I thought that was great. And it's great to be able to watch you watch you create as you're listening to all this uh, <laughs> wonderful content. But it was so funny because uh, I was listening to it, and we chatted about this before we started recording. But yeah, you know this this sense that you know you get told as a as a kid that you know that you're a great you got natural talent, and I remember hearing that when I was quite young, and you know then. Part of the point that you bring up is is and your wife brings up is you're not maybe going to work as hard because you know I I'm a natural <laughs> you know I, I can't yes. back away from this and uh, I was telling you the story of and I've said this a few times in the podcast but I, I just it it's burned in my head where this you know I think her name was Lisa shows up and she could draw horses better than me and I was like I'm done. I'm out. That's it. <laughs> I, I don't have. My parents were wrong. I don't have natural talent. She does. Everybody has lied to me. That's right. <laughs> and there's only one person in the school that can have talent, and she's got the crown. I'm done. I'm going to go play games. I'm done. Not playing yeah. anymore. That's it. Yep. And and that's that's talent. You know, we're gonna we're we're we have it kind of scheduled out, but we're gonna tackle that ten thousand hour rule. And I don't know if you've heard that before, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about that. And that goes through, you know, that rule doesn't just apply to artists is actually was, was given to, to more of a sports orientated genre before it got to the, to the artists. But the whole idea of the 10,000 hour rule, we're going to move into talking about practice and, 
and uh, focused practice, things like that, that that will up your game so much faster. And, you know, so you, you've got some people that it might take 10,000 hours. Other people might only take 7,000 hours. And it all just a matter. It's, it's just all depending on how you practice and mm-hmm. how much time you put into it. Right. And, and, it, and what you're practicing. Exactly. And what you're practicing. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we're going to, we're going to tackle that one in our next video together, but it's been, it's been really, really fun. And I just so much enjoy it. And it's so much fun to do something with your wife, you know? Yeah. And she, she is a practicer. She's a, she's what they call a master pastelist. And so she is an extremely gifted artist. Uh, um, she doesn't do as much anymore. She's kind of moved over to, she, she kind of has a calling to help people. And so she's moved over into body work and obviously her master's in kinesiology and stuff like that. So she right. likes to help the elderly move <laughs> and stay healthy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, and you bring up a good point about the, uh, you know, I've heard people talk about 10,000 drawings. Like uh, I had one artist on and her best advice she ever received was somebody telling her that you've got 10,000 bad drawings in you. You've got to get them out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've heard other people talk about, you know, it's 30,000 hours or it's 40,000 hours. So there is this sense that you need to practice, <laughs> right? That you yes. need to spend the time. Right. And, and my only comments to the, to those is that it, it it's really all about the focused practice because if you're just sitting right. down in front of your your sketchbook and you're doing a drawing and you're going okay that's one of the ten thousand another drawing okay it's another one of the ten thousand if you're just repeating your your same mistakes over and over and over again it's doesn't work i think what i've noticed for myself is that when i first started doing graphite I would draw, and I wasn't too critical of my work. I would just draw, and, and I wouldn't even know I got stuff wrong until I looked at it. And, I, you know, sometimes I would notice for three months or six months after I finished the piece that, oh, that beak is mm-hmm. weird, right? Or the eye is wrong or whatever. And then as you do more, that time differential between when you finish that area and you see it's wrong shortens. And it gets shorter, and it yes. gets shorter, and it gets shorter. And when it gets to the point... That's really good when you're drawing and immediately you feel it's wrong and you correct it then is when you feel comfortable. You feel like you're at a point where you've improved. And for me, that was huge. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you could equate it to, to, to golf. I've always hated golf. I, I don't golf anymore. <laughs> but but I, once I embraced the idea that if I could look at my swing and I'm able to, as I'm going through the motion that I'm able to correct in a very minute way as I'm going through the motion in a way that gives me repeatable effect, then that's when I'm good. And that's what, Mm -hmm. and, and so when I draw, that's the way I look at it now is as I'm drawing, I'm evaluating. And I've said this to other people. I don't know if you do this where you're drawing on one area and you're not even looking where the pencil's touching the paper because you're distracted by the hoof over here. You're, you're kind of, (laughs) You know, you know what you're working on, right? And you're kind of just shading in the cheek or the, you know, the, the under the cheekbone, and you're just going around in circles. And it's like while you're there shading, I'm just going to look over here and oh, that ear. I have to get back to that ear. I don't know if you. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yes. <laughs> but I yes. think it's it's that self correction that once that time gets short, you're in a good space. Yeah, I and I do, and I think that that space comes from that practice. You know, I I, I talk a lot about. Um, creating a good visual memory. Um, and I had, I had an artist, I went to a show and he's an amazing artist and 
he went through my work and he gave me one critique that changed my world. And it was, it was, he says, your eyes don't like, don't look like they're inset in the head. Because you have, you have a skeletal, you have an eye socket, that eyeball is inset there and your shadows aren't dark enough. They're not casting the light appropriately. Draw a whole bunch of eyes for a little while. And that changed my work. That one little comment changed my work in how I look at things and in my ability to go in and, and when I'm doing a piece to find that, that, that reference that I was telling you about the, the computer stuff where you can see the mm -hmm. eyes and stuff that, that you find that visual reference to inform and you, you use that to make things look better, but you've got to be so critical of your own work. And sometimes that's really hard to do. You know, it's really hard to do. Yeah, it's it's hard because, you know, it's it's one thing to see that I, I got that wrong, but it's another thing to know how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, that's why I think having a community like this is so important, mm -hmm. you know, because you get you get to hear about other people's plights, if you will, their what they have to go through. And you realize right. that, oh, you're not alone. Everybody's going through the same thing. Yeah, and it's you almost need ten thousand hours of other people's videos in your head to be able to pull out the content that you can use for yourself, right? Um, and, yeah, and then practice. I love critiques. Yeah, I love critique videos. They're some of my favorite videos to watch because to watch somebody else get critiqued gives you so much because you, you're looking at their piece. All of a sudden, another artist starts critiquing, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, that's magic! I can't believe that guy saw that." And then you start going, well, I didn't see that. Right. And then you start realizing and start thinking about things that you could, you should be looking for in your own personal work. So I, I love critique videos. They're really good. I haven't watched many. I've, I've watched people uh, critiquing uh, singers, but not art. So great. More homework from Eric. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun to watch. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to humbling. Humbling, humbling. Yeah, humility is... Uh, I, I think that could be our superpower if you can. If you can, that's a good one. Yeah, if you can harness that. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. You know, and I, that's another one of my little. I, I don't want to say a pet peeve, but that's another one of my things that with art is is that whole self critiquing thing. And that's another video that me and Trish are going to do together. But the ability to to look at your work, step away, look at your work, and see what what doesn't work you know i've i've had so many people show me work and they're so into it and they so love doing it so much that they don't really want their critique and they don't want to they don't want it but they need it so badly and they could improve so much and it's it's that ability to step away and look at yourself and, and take the ego away just take it away you know get rid of that ego and and go into it with just the the desire to create and the love of the creation and get rid of am I am I as good as that guy? Am I as good as that guy? And the reality is you don't ever you're never gonna be as good as that guy because that guy's will only be as good as his stuff. You know, so there'll never be another Frazetta, you know. Mm -hmm. You'll get people that'll that'll paint like him, but there's only one Frazetta. And there's only one you and there's only one me. Mm -hmm. And so there's no no reason for an ego. Get rid of it. I mean, the other struggle I have too is, is you know, when somebody critiques your work, it's like, I thought I was done. So I think when you get <laughs> to the point, you've got to be able to accept that maybe you're not done. And right. it's, 
I think that's that's part of it is is being open to having to fix it, mm-hmm. and not just that you're not good, but that you have to fix it. Right? right. That you yeah. didn't. It wasn't a problem until I saw it. Now I can't unsee it, and so. Right. Well, I'm I'm working on a. Somebody sent me a, an image on Instagram. He's an amazing artist, and he got stuck on a piece, and he's going, "What do I do?" And it's like the solutions for him are actually fairly easy, but it's going to take a little work on his part. And it's, it was, it's going to be all about value and, and making sure that you've, you're keep the lighting source that you've chosen kind of thing. It's, it looks like a finished piece, but he's asking, what can I do to this? And, and he's willing to go back in and adjust some of those values. And he's already an amazing artist. So you always just feel honored that they would ask you. And so you'll say, oh, this is what I think. And then you, you see where it goes. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I just, and I do the same thing. I, I ask, I have a group of, of artists that are close friends and we Zoom periodically and we show each other our work. And what do you think? I'm stuck with this. What can I do better? Get better. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you just with, in relation to the YouTube that we were just talking about and the videos you were doing, have you ever done live draws like through Instagram or YouTube or anything like that? Not lately, but I, it is something that I would really like to do. I have a couple of friends that have Twitch accounts and, yes. um, and they do that, but I, I really, I've really been drawn to do that on, on either on a YouTube format or on my Instagram. Cause I think that's where my biggest following is on Instagram. And I'm really drawn to it, but I haven't done it quite yet. But I really want to do it. If you ever want to do it together, let me know, because that would be I, fun. I got to say, I saw you things. I was going to ask you, because <laughs> I thought, oh, really? That would be, yeah, I was. Because <laughs> I hear you talk about it, and I'm like, oh, my God, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a good setup. I think, as you can see with the YouTube, there were, where it films my desk, and it does pretty good, pretty decent quality, you know. Okay, I guess, right? <laughs> and and that's, you know, that's where, when you talk about the graphite being shiny, that's where it becomes a problem is when you're doing Instagram Live is, is having, like, I've got lights at 45 wow. just to cut the shine off, right? Wow. Yeah, I never really yeah. thought about that. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. true. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it would be kind of fun to, uh, I don't know, for us to just draw together and just chat. Yeah. It would be kind of, a, I, I don't know what, if we just draw our own stuff or choose a topic, but maybe just drawing our own stuff is fine because then we're focused, but. Yeah. 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 And just talk, yeah, yeah, that count me in. I'd so want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll schedule that. So yeah. if you're listening, we will do that. Follow us on Instagram <laughs> and uh, we'll flag it when we decide to, to do this. I think that would be fun. It would. Yeah. I, I went through a period when I was doing a lot of digital work. And uh, I think you, you might have seen one of those videos of where I would, I would do live drawing sessions, but they were digital. So I'd use a Wacom tablet and a projector and I would draw live at a show and it was really it was that it was really really fun and i wanted to kind of try to turn it at that point into almost like a performance art thing right as with every great idea you get it to a point and then another great idea happens and (laughs) you forget (laughs) about the last one (laughs) yeah exactly you know yeah it's uh yeah that 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 did look like a lot of fun i think Uh, i've done some um live draws with my iPad and that's worked out fairly well. So that's okay. been, that's been kind of fun just with procreate mm-hmm. and I'll probably get back to that at some point, but, and I've got a Twitch stream as well. I just, I haven't been doing it. And in one of the, uh, the clubhouse rooms, uh, the suggestion was you need to get out and do some more Twitch. Oh, interesting. But I have no followers, right? Like unless you're, you're there, you don't have followers, but right. there's a lot of artists doing some really fun stuff. 
um, in Twitch. Yeah, yeah, it can be a really good platform, you know. But as with all this social media stuff, it's all so time consuming. It is. Oh my gosh, you know, it's it's a it really is a balance of doing your work and doing the social media stuff. You know what I mean? It's such a balance. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to you because we're in the same boat where the stuff that we're talking about is the after hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got three or four hours or five hours in an evening, are, are you are you drawing your work that you want to be drawing? Or are you hooking everything up and doing it for Twitch? And are you drawing what you want for Twitch or Instagram? Or are you just drawing for yourself? Like you've only got so much time. It's not like it's your right. full-time job, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so true. And I think even for me that I don't always necessarily draw at my drawing desk. As a matter of fact, I'd say 80% of my work happens in the house on a, a chair that I have next to, and I have it a nice little light that kind of goes over. So I got good lighting on all, and all my stuff is on drawing boards and I tape it to a drawing board. Okay. And when we're watching a Netflix show or we're doing something, I'm actually like my wife, I want to be with her, you know? So, <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't want to work all day and then come home and say, okay, bye honey. I'm going to go into the studio and paint for three hours. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I've set up a little station there that I have good lighting and stuff and I draw while we watch a show or uh, or something like that and it does extend out how long the drawing actually takes but on the other side of the coin if I'm doing an eye sometimes I can look at the TV and I can see oh that was a good eye right there and I can use it you know what I mean exactly yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it also makes it hard to create content for like YouTube or anything like that because mm-hmm. that's you know you got to be more focused you got to be at your drawing table and filming it and hitting pause, hitting start, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I do struggle with keeping social media alive. I mean, even when you look at my stuff, the, the one I spend the most time with is Instagram. And I cross post to YouTube, not to YouTube, but to Facebook. And I have a couple groups in Facebook that I have recently started posting to. And in my YouTube channel. It's hard. That's, that's yeah, I feel like I'm pushing it just doing that. <laughs> well, it's... You know, I have to say, in doing the podcast, it's kept my art as a priority because every two weeks I have a show. Nice. So it's a lot of work, but it means that I have to be addressing something every two weeks. So part of it is, you know, the intro of what I've been working and what's working on and what's new. And then it's the guest. Sometimes there's no guests and I just talk about something. In (laughs) most cases, there's a guest, but that keeps me honest. And for some reason, I didn't think that was enough work. So I started a newsletter. (laughs) <laughs> so I've, I've done two newsletters for punishment that's it well i felt i enjoy writing so i have a novel i've been working on and, and uh or two novels one's sixty-five thousand words in and the other one oh my gosh uh, yeah <laughs> but now i'm thinking i i, I want to draw it versus uh finish writing it so i don't know what i'm doing yet but um Do i combo. wanted to write pardon me <laughs> Do a combo. I should. <laughs> like a nice, really thick graphic novel or something. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought about it. But um, yeah, so I think that the, the newsletter for me was just a way to, to write a little bit and okay. uh, to, to hopefully direct some people to the work that I've been doing. But uh, it was just a way for me to write and share my ideas and share my experiences. And uh, there's an article, a heavy article that I write about kind of a piece that I've been working on and some of the history behind it and my influences in that. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's helpful when you reflect, because I've, ha- I've heard so many guests say, oh, I haven't really thought about that in a long time when I've asked them questions. And I think 
reflection is a really important tool for all of us, whether you're an artist or not. I so, yeah, I so agree. And I think it to kind of play onto that is I think when you get to a level like you're at, I think it's, it's with social media, we're in an era where we can share. And it's so important that artists share their process and share their thoughts. And I think it just helps inspire younger artists to, to become amazing artists. And I think it's, 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 it's kind of almost part of our responsibility a little bit to share mm-hmm. as best we can. You know what I mean? And yep. social media will allow us to do that, I think, in all these different different venues. Right. Well, I, I mean, I don't know who said it, but uh, maybe it was Ferris had said it, but, you know, th- that the most expensive real estate in the world is a graveyard, because that's where all the good ideas go to die, right? <laughs> that's um, a good one. <laughs> but I think, as artists, it's not just our work, it's our skills, and passing those on. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I do agree. I never really thought about that, but you bring up a really good point. And I think the work that you're doing with YouTube and Instagram is is really helping, I think, a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like, and here's me, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I feel like in the last five years, maybe 10, but I'd say five years, it's almost a renaissance in art. Mm-hmm. It's because of, of the internet. And, and you know, you used to be able to be, your group was the little town or the school that you were at. And so your artwork, if you were the best artist at your school, your artwork lived up to that criterion, if you will. And, and now that we, we can compare or learn from artists from Germany, from China, from Australia, and it's upped the game of art and the quality of art in such a radical way, not to mention that everything you see on TV and movies is all computer animated and it's all drawn by an artist thought up by an artist and um the art careers are so there's so many more now than there used to be and and so important nowadays because everything has got to be conceptualized by an artist first Mm -hmm. you know when you see the avengers everything you see every background every costume was created by an artist first Mm -hmm. And, and they drew them, and then they showed them to the director, and the director goes, yeah, that one right there. And then the director gets to go, that was a great idea I had, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> But it was the artist. The artist is the one who thought of that. You know? Right. Um, even, even lighting and backgrounds, and, and so it just, there's, the art world has just had a renaissance, and, it's, and I think we'll see that. I think 50 years from now, they're going to look at this time and the artists that have come out of, of this time, and I think it's going to be remembered. I really do. I really do. Not that I'm going to be a part of it, but I do think that this period of time um, is going to be remembered for the arts. I agree. And I think that people are worried about uh, digital art and people are talking about uh, NFTs as a way to mm-hmm. to sell your digital art. And I, I'm all for that because I think it's going to bring up the value of the analog pieces. I think it's it's better for the art world overall. And I think to your point, it is great that we're expanding the population and the resources that we have as artists whether you are an expert in your field or you're just starting out there are so many people now that are one step behind you and one step in front of you that you can lean on to help move yourself forward and we didn't have that before that's a perfect way to put it especially the word lean on and that's just such a perfect way it's a beautiful way to say it because that's exactly what we do you know, we lean on each other to help us. It's that's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to lean on you now, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about homework. Okay. 
So I'm wondering if I always ask my guests for a little bit of homework. And okay. so I'm wondering if I can lean on you for a little bit of homework. Sure. I'm going to preface this in, in, in saying that I believe that a visual vocabulary for the work that I do as, as a fantasy artist is extremely important. And so when you talk about trying to create something that's a little more realistic. So my homework would be spend a month and do a week of eyes, a week of noses, a week of mouths, and a week of ears. Try to do three drawings a day, not super detailed. Use photo reference in every one of those and do it for a month and then watch how it'll affect your drawing when you start drawing from your imagination. Because once you get those things, once those are in your head and it becomes part of your visual memory, when you start wanting to draw, draw something like an orc or, or a, a demon, whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. um, you're not no longer thinking about how does this eye work? You know, instinctively, you know how that eye works. And it allows you to push away the how-to and just let your imagination flow because it already knows what a nose looks like from every different angle, left, right, up, down. So now you're just making it big, making it small, doing whatever you want to do to it. So that would be my homework. Do that for a month and see how it changes your work. Wow. Great. <laughs> More homework. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, I, I think that's a great idea. I... Um... Because I, I have doodled quite a bit with with human anatomy, and I've I've played with, and I've done that on toned paper, which oh, has that's been kind great. of fun. So I've used actually charcoal uh, uh, and white charcoal, and mm -hmm. that's been kind of fun to play with. So now you have me focused on, yeah, I should do a bunch of eyes and ears and noses, yeah, and mouths, yeah. So that's great. I'm gonna have to uh, pursue that homework. And so Eric, I this has been fantastic. I mean, when I when I saw your work and I thought, I got to talk to this guy about his, his graphite and his, his charcoal, I thought your work was incredible. And I, but now speaking to you, um, I mean, this has been fantastic. I've learned so much. I've got so much homework. And uh, <laughs> I'm really hope that we can stay connected and maybe do a live draw in the future. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much. I, thank you so much. I would love to. And it was, it was truly an honor to be here. It's been so much fun to sit and talk with you. Really, I can't thank you enough. This has been cool. We'll stay in Thanks. touch, and uh, thank you. Have a good thank one. Thank you very much. Guys, take care. Take Bye. care. Bye. You can find Eric on Instagram at Eric Messenger Art and on YouTube by just searching for Eric Messenger. The show notes include links to everything Eric and I spoke about, including his social accounts, and that can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 49. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.